You're listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today, we have the Director of Sports Medicine and the Head Athletic Trainer for the New England Revolution, Eric Bankson. Eric, welcome in. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. All right, Eric. Um, right now, you're out in um, L.A. doing preseason training camps for um, the New England Revolution. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are, kind of where you grew up, and how you got involved into physical therapy? Yeah, so I'm, I'm from North Carolina originally, um, went to Appalachian State University um, in beautiful Boone, North Carolina in the mountains. Um, from there went to, I was an athletic trainer in undergrad, and from there went to graduate school for athletic training at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, worked for a few years and then um, decided to transition into physical therapy, went to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, started down a um, sports residency track at Ohio State University. So started the residency and then um, got offered a position with the Revolution. And so I left early um, with my thinking being you don't you, the goal of the residency is to work in to, to get a position like this. So why stay in the residency if I've been offered the position? Um, and so I thought I had to jump at the opportunity and, and left the residency early. Right. And so after you were working as an athletic trainer and then you did your graduate program for athletic training, what made you want to transition and do physical therapy as well? So there, there were, there were a number of life reasons. So it just kind of fit, fit, um, in my kind of how the, my life was going. Um, but the, the main reason was that. I had worked my way up through the the ladder at Appalachian State University and had worked my way up to director of athletic training um, and then realized that the that physical therapy was a little bit more kind of inclusive of the overall body of, of work of what we needed. Um, so I found there were some gaps in what I was able to do. Um, and then also the 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 pay structure is different, right? Athletic trainers are not paid as well. And then the national recognition is different. So PTs are better recognized in the field. Um, and then athletic training was going master's level as a profession. So the it was an undergrad degree um, when I went through it. And then going to grad school was the, was the extra work. And then as a profession, it went to grad school. It went to a grad master's level. And so I thought, okay, well, on paper, it makes sense to do a little bit more. Um, I, I wanted to get a terminal degree and didn't know where I wanted to go, whether it was a um, doctor of education or a PhD or, or a DPT. And I wanted to stay clinical. And so the thing that made the most sense was to go with the, with the physical therapy degree. Gotcha. And so... 
you know, you said that halfway through or partway through your residency program, you got offered a position by <clears throat> the New England Revolution. So kind of talk us through a little bit more about that journey and how that kind of came about. Yeah, it was actually wild. It was it was atypical of how this position normally works. So because I had a, a, a fairly extensive background in athletic training, including um, running a, a large department or large athletic training department, and I was an EMT before that. Um, so because of that experience, my information got passed on to um, the, the people that were with the revolution. They were looking for somebody with my exact um, qualifications. And so it was um, a, a little bit lucky. You know, you put, in the, you put in the hard work in the beginning and then the luck kind of found me. Um, so they basically called me on a Monday and said, would you be interested in this position? And I, so I didn't apply. I didn't even know it was a position. I wasn't looking because I was in the residency. And I said, um, maybe, you know, not, not, not with that title and not with that pay. And they sent me a text message the next day and said, okay, we can change the title and change the pay. And I said, okay, well now I'm interested. And they said, okay, so this is on a Tuesday. And they said, okay, can you be here Thursday? And I said, no, I cannot, I cannot be, I have a full full clinic. Uh, You know, I was in the residency and luckily Ohio state was very supportive. Um, And they said, yeah, go, go interview. It makes complete sense for you to go interview. Um, So left, uh, they, they, uh, they said, call in sick on that day. So I called in and um, rearranged the patients and ended up getting offered the position a few, a few days later. So it was just very, you know, kind of right place, right time. The right person heard about me um, and ended up, ended up in this position. Yeah. You said but, right place, right. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I started, at, I was the rehab coordinator um, a couple of years ago when I started and um, then moved up into the director of sports medicine last year, beginning gotcha. of last year. Gotcha. And you said that it was right place, right time, but you also kind of mentioned that like hard work pays off eventually and it kind of finds you. And I think that's like the important like take home message. It's not like dumb luck that you got this position, but the long hours working at, you know, different levels of, you know, rehab during your athletic training days. Right. That's exactly right. So that's exactly right. You know, you learn, especially as an athletic trainer, you know, you're kind of grinding out all these hours. And, and you end up working multiple sports and doing multiple things. Like, I think people that get hyper-focused on one thing too early, I think that ends up hurting them in the long run. You know, people that say, oh, I want to, I'm only going to work baseball from an early age. And then all of a sudden you, you know, what if baseball falls through and now you're not great at lower extremity stuff? I, so I, I, I think it's important to kind of have a variety of experiences and then, you put in that, that work and you, you'll get noticed eventually, at least, you know, that's the plan that hopefully. Right. Um, like you said, a little bit of hard work and a little bit of good luck will, will be always on your side. Absolutely. So yeah, I wanted absolutely. to go, as you started with New England Revolution, you said you were the director of rehab and then you kind of moved to the director of sports medicine. So kind of tell us a little bit more about each of those different positions and what goes into each of those. Yeah, so the the re, rehab specific person um, it, with this job. So we have a large staff for a team of twenty five people, 
But in reality, the staff is not that big if you consider what would be in a normal clinic or in a no, with a football team or e- even NBA teams are bigger just because they're better. Um, there's a, more money behind them. So you know, we have about 25 guys. And there's a staff of, of three full-time athletic trainers, um, uh, uh, two part-time PTs that come in, and then we have a massage therapist that's in every day. Um, so the rehab coordinator position is the person that at the beginning of the day says, here's what this person needs, who is going to work with that person that day? So is it important for that day, that person, should they be on the field with a strength coach to do to do a cardiac work or cardio work should they be in the with the pt doing manual work where should they be that day um so my job it was that that kind of organization uh, of the the flow of the day and then also because of my background in athletic training i did a lot of the like the hands-on on field work um and so now in as the director um i there's somebody else that does that basic organization of who's going to work with, with who that day. Um, and then even some days I'm not on the, I I won't go to practice some days. Um, if, if it's a very easy training session or if we have a, a number of injured people, I'll stay back and, and do work with them while the rest of the athletic training staff actually goes to practice. And at a, at an MLS level, at a professional level, it's much more, the the actual company is much bigger than you'd expect. So we have our our first team, which is who I spend ninety percent of my time with. So that's the MLS team. Those are the guys you see on TV. Those are the big guys. And then we have a second team, which is a minor league team that operates out of the same building. We have an athletic trainer with that staff, um, and then we just got a part time PT with that staff as well um, through a contract with a local a local company where he comes over a couple days a week. And then uh, we have an academy, um, which is four teams down to uh, down to 13 year olds. So basically, we identify we can identify talent, um, local talent at the at 12 or 13 years old and pull them into our academy. And then they can work up through the uh, through the different levels. So you you 13, you 14, you 15, 17, 19 and then up into our um, minor league and then professional team. So as the director, I'm much more focused on how are the, how is the the system running all the way down versus, you know, how's this one person's like high speed running going today. Um, so it's, it's a lot more like big picture, whereas the rehab coordinator is much more um, fine tuning exactly what we're doing that day. Right. And I think that's um, interesting. You know, as you work, kind of work up the chain, it becomes more of a management big picture role, which is, you know, very important because you want to make sure that all the parts are running smoothly from strength coaches to PTs to athletic trainers. Um, but your mindset definitely shifts away from making sure this per- person is getting the right exercises or interventions done or, you know, whatever needs to be done for that specific player and their injury. Um, so right. I wanted to go into. Um, why you enjoy soccer so much? Is it kind of an opportunity that came along or did you have any involvement in soccer prior to this? Yeah, I, I played soccer growing up. And so just, um, you know, you kind of like the sport because that's, that's where your background is. And then 
as an athletic trainer, you kind of rotate around different sports. Um, for me, I was around soccer, enjoyed the culture. Um, for anybody that's worked soccer, they know it's just culturally a little bit different because it's so international based. Um, it's a lot, the, the like kind of egos that you see with other sports, you don't really see with soccer. So everybody's a lot more um, down to earth just because the pay structure is different in America, you know, where, you know, our highest, our highest paid guy is making, you know, marginally, we're, we're through the same company as the Patriots. So we're owned by the same people, the new England Patriots and the new England revolution. We all, we're all in the same property and, you know, their, their lowest paid guy is making what our, you know, fourth or fifth highest paid guy is making. So what you end up and, you know, that's fair, right? Because that's where the, commercial structure is, but, or that's where the commercial like endorsements are. But what you end up seeing with that is we, we have a lot more like down to earth egos. Um, it, and it's just because it's international, the, the guys are, are, are very nice. You know, that's a lot of like, everybody's coming in and shaking everybody's hand every day. Like, Hey, good morning. How are you? Um, you know, some, some guys are, are hugging in the morning. It's just because of that, because of that culture, it's just a nice like place to work, honestly. Um, and I think that's consistent across all um, soccer teams from what I've seen from all, all the teams I've worked with. Right. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, your time as director of rehab. So you worked, you know, in, a, in an athletic training room for most of your career, and then you spent a little bit of time at Ohio State during your residency. So how does your mindset shift when you're working with and a person, a patient, an athlete, whether they're in the training room and they're preparing for a season versus it's a, you know, a weekend warrior in the clinic that wants to get back to running 5Ks or, you know, wants to be able to throw the football around with their kid for softball or t-ball practice kind of deal. Yeah, the, the so the biggest difference is the the professional athlete is just much better at what they're doing. Right. So I didn't expect it to be such a drastic difference. You know, you think, oh, professional athletes are good at what they do. They're, that's why they're professionals. And then you see it for the first time up close and you're like, oh, this is a completely different level. <laughs> it's not these the, the, the people that are professional athletes. Sometimes clinics don't even have the ability to like support the exercises that they need to do in order to be better at their sport. So for instance, if one of our guys was to, was to be a late stage rehab and go to a normal clinic, it would be very difficult for them to get ready for soccer because you need a full field and you need somebody that can kick with you and you need the, the exercise to happen quickly. Um, so, you know, that's the first thing is that they're, the professional athlete is just much better and their, their ability to maintain a, like a workload consistently is just better. Um, so they, they're less resistant to fatigue. Um, they're, um, their kind of mindset when they switch into like, okay, now it's work time is, is a little bit different. Um, but with that being said, you know, like it's the PT's job to find whatever that switch is with each person. So if you, if you're working with a weekend warrior, like what motivates that person? Um, you know, what is their maximum like workload for that day? How can we get the best out of them on that day? And then that's your job to figure that out. Um, 
I found, I found that that's, that was one of the most interesting things in the clinic was, was finding that, that, uh, that level for each person. Right. Um, and so, you know, as you're kind of now big picture man or higher up as director of sports medicine, so you're in charge of everyone with, you know, athletic training, I'm sure nutrition, dietitians and all that type of stuff. So how do you see, or how do you, I guess, increase the collaboration between um, athletic trainers, PTs and strength staff? Because we all play a role in the rehab process and we all might be like more involved at certain parts, but how do you make sure that communication between all the different facets of the team stay, you know, everyone's on the same page for the athlete? Yeah. So, so in the, in the soccer setting, we, or in this setting specifically, we, we meet every day. So we don't, we don't have a, um, a nutritionist on site, but we have our, our strength coaches handle, handle that. Um, but everything else we, we meet with that person every day. So in the beginning of the day, we say, Hey, what's going to be best for this person today? How can we best handle this person? Whether that's in the weight room on the field or, or, you know, in a rehab setting, or sometimes that's in a passive treatment setting. So, you know, like maybe today is a better day. Let's, let's get this person on with the massage therapist. Um, and so what, what we do is we, basically communication is the most important thing. So we're all, we're all there to support the, the team. And so how can we best do that? And the answer is to, to communicate frequently. There's no like secret to it, right? It's just, you, you have to, you have to get down and talk to everybody. You know, the, everybody is really good at what they do at this level. So nobody's just here by accident. And so you have to trust what they're saying and trust that if somebody is making a passionate point about something that's different than what you think, you have to trust what they're, what they're saying. Uh, right. So there, there's no, there's no secret. There's no secret to it. It's just, you, you have to communicate. And, and, and in our setting, we, we meet every day, uh, sometimes twice, two or three times a day. Right. And I think, um, one of the themes across this podcast has been communication. And like you said, there's no secret to it, but just making sure, you know, you openly say what you need to say to make sure you keep the athletes, you know, health as the first priority. Um, so I want to talk a, a little bit more about, you know, those people that you are working with. So you probably had had to make some sort of hires or be involved in the hiring process of someone on the sports medicine team, whether it's a PT or an AT or strength coach. So what are some characteristics that you look for in a potential candidate that somebody you would, you would want to be on your team being be being in charge of the health of your athletes? Well, the the biggest thing, so most people have a, a baseline like qualification at this point, right? So what, if you're hiring an athletic trainer, you you have the ATC you you're going to want a couple years of experience when you're at this level, right? You're not hiring brand new grads for a, for a first team MLS, um, position, but you know, like once you get to that level, every resume looks the same virtually. Um, so what you have to do, and obviously there are standout resumes, but what you have to do is, is understand that, a large part of the job is communication. So a large part of the job is, can I get along with this person? And, you know, we're not hiring based on 
who do I think I can go get a beer with, right? That's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is who fits most easily in with the group. Um, you know, who do I think can handle the stress of, of sitting on an airplane and then sitting in a hotel and doing treatment. And then if something happens, all of a sudden we're in Vancouver, you know, dealing with some injury, who do I think can handle that situation the best? You know, ultimately the, the healthcare stuff is the, is one of the easier parts of what we do. You know, we, we, I do operate pretty aggressively. So I, I, I will kind of blur the line on where we, who should play that day and who shouldn't. Um, and so I want the rest of the staff to kind of be in the same mindset if I'm not there. But apart from that, it's who who's going to fit in the best personality wise. And so, you know, like you like I really like 10 years ago, I hated the like, oh, well, you got to work on soft skills stuff. But <laughs> on, honestly, that's that's really what we look at, to be completely honest. Um, it's it's a. Uh, it's a large part of, of what's, what's important to us is when I'm hiring the interviews that I'll do for, you know, what we just hired somebody and the interview I had with them was, was 20 minutes. You know, it's like, I I look at your resume and say, yeah, you're in our top three. Okay. Who do we think can get, get along best with people? And then you'll go, well, have you do another 15 minute interview with somebody else. And if they agree, it's like, okay, that you're our guy. You're, you're who we want. Yeah, I think that that's great advice. Those soft skills are something that, um, you know, I don't think any school teaches you really, and you kind of have to learn on your own, and you kind of flop and fail and then eventually learn those. Um, so it's good to know that it's not soft skills are not only good for patients, but also, you know, working in any sort of uh, any sort of professional environment, whether it's a clinic or a professional sports teams, you know, you also you want to make sure that you get along with everyone that you're sitting next to every day. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. So I got a couple more questions, then we'll get you out of here. Um, so kind of walk us through what it's like day in the life for you on a game day. I know you guys are kind of inching up towards the season. So what is it like when from the time you wake up to the time you wrap up at the end of the day? So home games and, and away games are different. So if it's an away game, we'll fly in the day before. Um, the one good thing from COVID um, is that we fly charter now. So the, the, the travel is much easier. There are a lot of the other professional sports have been flying charter forever, but the budgets are bigger. You know, the budgets are bigger and the, and the uh, travel party is smaller with a lot of those yeah. sports. Um, so basketball, for instance, um, you know, the support um, staff with a basketball team is much smaller. So it's much easier to fly charter. The teams are also um, more valuable. So the owners are willing to spend a little bit more money. Um, so that's one good thing that has come from COVID. But so let's let's just take an away game, for example. Home games are easy because, you know, we kind of sit at home all morning. I'll like go get a cup of coffee and get brunch and then, um, <laughs> you know, go in in the afternoon. But r- road games, road games are different because we're in a hotel. So um, breakfast, breakfast will be um, breakfast and lunch will be catered. We'll do treatment in the middle between those two. Um Typically, typically everybody that's on the road is healthy. Otherwise, you're not on the road. Um, so there's not a ton of rehab that happens on game day. It's just what can we do to get this person ready for the game? In a lot of cases, it's how do we deal with soreness? Um, so, you know, like, hey, my hamstring's a little bit sore today. What should we do? And, um, you know, we'll kind of 
work them through that situation. And then we'll have a uh, lunch, maybe some light foam rolling or something in the afternoon. Like there's, there's really not that much going on. If the game's at eight o'clock, we'll go to the stadium at six, you know, I'll, um, I'll send over one of the athletic trainers with the, with the equipment staff um, to get all the, get the locker room and the field set up um, so that we can just walk in and everything is set up for the team. Uh, Just, you know, the, basically the entire focus of that day is how can we get the team ready to feel good on game day or get feel good at 8 p.m. or whatever time the game is. So it's it's really pretty easy. The, the difference between an away game and a home game is at home. Now we have all of the injured people. So we will have some sort of rehab session that happens or or, or we'll have people that didn't make the roster didn't make the travel roster because you're only allowed to travel with 20 people. So mm-hmm. if we have, if we have two people hurt that leaves and 25 people on the team, that leaves three people that are healthy, but not on the roster and not travel or not going to be sitting on the bench that day. And so those guys will get a workout in before we go to the stadium. So we'll go to the training center, um, have a, have an hour workout, make sure they're feeling okay. And then go over to the stadium. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really pretty easy to be honest, like until, until the actual, until you're sitting in the locker room, it's pretty easy. Um, but you know, then, then, uh, there's a clear switch that happens and everything gets a lot more intense as soon as you, as soon as you get into the building. Right. So I think that's a pretty interesting, you know, dynamic that most of the time it's, it's a pretty easy all the way up until game time. You know, that's some, most of other people I've heard saying it's like a pretty intense day throughout the day. So I'm glad that for you, it's like relaxing until it comes eight o'clock and then the lights come on and then it's showtime for you as well. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big, um, like when it comes to rehab, one of the big things that I do is I, I I'm not like, I think that mental stress is a bit, is, is big on these guys. You know, their full time job is soccer. And so if we spend a lot of time focused on what's wrong with them, it can really stress them out, especially if they're not on a roster. You know, it's very easy for them to say, okay, well, what else can I do for this thing? And like, ultimately, time is going to be something that best heals them. So it's how can we best get this person through? How can we get them feeling best through the amount of time that their body is going to take to heal this thing? Um, And so part of that for me is, not having them spend all day in a sports med facility. So right. it's, you know, the, these, these guys are, you know, we could keep them in the facility all day if we wanted to, you know, we could do a treatment before practice, after practice, make them go eat lunch and then come back two hours later and do another treatment session. And ultimately you say, okay, is it better to do three really easy treatment sessions a day, or is it better to do one like aggressive treatment session <laughs> and, you know, where, where I landed is I think it's better to be more efficient with our work and, and go a little bit harder on them at the beginning. Right. Um, so now that you've been with the new England revolution for a couple of years now, um, do you have any favorite moments that have stuck out to you? Um, whether it be, you know, working with, um, sports medicine team or any on field favorite moments that you have? Well, the, the obvious answer for, for right now was we, 
won the like regular season championship last year. So that's like kind of the obvious answer is we, we actually set the, the, so soccer is done in a point system. So three wins for, or three points for a win, one point for a tie. Um, and so at the, the regular season champion is determined by how many points you have at the end of the year. It's not determined by the tournament at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And, um, we actually last year set the all time points record for the MLS. So statistically we were the best team in the history of the league last year. Um, and then we ended up losing first round of the playoffs, which is why the playoff system is a little bit silly, but, um, (laughs) we, so that's kind of the obvious answer is getting to celebrate that with the guys. Um, you know, they, they're the ones doing the work. Um, and so it was, it was fun to do that. And then there are a number of like small, like fun celebration things that you get through a season, you know, like, Anytime you get to work with somebody and you're the one that is on the field when they get hurt and you're the one that is, um, you know, doing whatever level of comforting you feel comfortable doing and, and you're the one that does the rehab and then gets them back on the field. And then at the end of a game, you, you're the one that gets to go out there and say, like, hey, you play great. Like, how do you feel? Good? Okay, great. Like the, each of those little small um each of those little small like um, experiences is is fun. You know, it's hard to pick one of those out. Um, but the obvious answer is the the winning the championship last year. Right. Um, I think those little small moments is exactly why we do sports PT because it's not we don't we don't look for you know that acknowledgement, but knowing that we were able to help this person get back to doing what they're doing. You know, if we did our job right, you know, they shouldn't notice anything. So it's it's good to know have that feeling of accomplishment sometimes. Um, you know, it's like you were there from day zero all the way until back onto game day, and that's like there's no better feeling than that. Yeah, and, and you know, when you're when you're on the field with the with the guys, sometimes your job is to prove to them that that they cannot do something. Right. And so all all of these guys are really focused on staying on the field and playing. And so sometimes it's your job to to say, okay, I know this person can't do it, right? I know their ankle cannot support this, but they really think they can. And so, okay, let's, let's prove it to them. Why don't you jog back and forth on the sideline? You know, we have, we have 20 seconds here before we have to make this call, go run, go sprint down to the, to the center line and back. And so, and you know, if they, if they can do it, great. Maybe you are, maybe you need to rethink your opinion, but most of the time, you get to the level where you're right on, right? So you you say, okay, this person can't do it. You prove to them they can't do it. What's different is you end up with these long-term guys and your or long-term injuries, and what you're doing is proving to them that they can do something. And so you're picking these like little goals every day. Okay, I'm going to show this person that they can cut off of their right leg today at a 45-degree angle or whatever. That's the goal for the day. And they think they can't do it. Let's see if they can. Or they think they can't do this, even though we did it, something similar in rehab yesterday. And so the 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 difference is kind of interesting. You know, where the short-term guys were kind of proving to them they can't. The long-term guys were proving to them that they can do something. And so anytime you get the, the chance to go through that full, like, range of emotion with somebody, from the them thinking they can do it to you showing them they can't do it, to whatever imaging is going to happen and whatever rehab. And now you're walking every step. Um, you're 
every little goal that they're setting, you're walking them through it. That that's like ultimately what it comes down to when that's, that's how you get, that's how you get paid. You know, it's like, how can you do those things? So each of those is important, I think. Right. All right. Last question for you, Eric, and we'll get you out of here. Um, do you have any right. advice for any aspiring sports PTs um, or any actually any aspiring sports medicine team members? Um, anything that you would give, you know, after having this experience now, uh, anything that you would like to pass on to them? Yeah, I think so. So you, you obviously need the the baseline credentials, right? Sometimes we'll have people apply for positions that are still in school or, you know, they're about to graduate and it's like, okay, that doesn't like, I acknowledge that in a, in a year you'll be, you'll be good or two years you'll be good, but you know, that's not what we're looking for at this time. Right. So you have to have the baseline credentials in a sports medicine field or specifically with professional sports. It's not uncommon to see um, people that have like a CSCS or something that shows they are competent in a weight room. And, you know, that doesn't mean they're going to, I want people setting like periodization schemes. It just means, do you know, like day to day how to progress this exercise? Do you know what's safe and what's not? Um, Do you know how to spot somebody in the weight room? Those are skills that are not taught in school um, frequently, right? So there are like little things that help, but ultimately, do you have the baseline credentials, right? And then just start, start small, right? Don't, don't start with jumping way to the way forward to the end goal. So figure out what other people in that position have done to get to that position. And, you know, basically when you, when you're at a level like this and, and most people at my position in the MLS, and I would guess in most other sports, I'll bet they have pretty similar backgrounds. So it's, it's, you know, they, they did well in school. They had a good varied experience. Um, they got in somewhere on the ground level. Like for us, that would be with the academy, getting in with the academy level. And then when a position opened up with the minor leagues, they went to the minor leagues. And then when a position opened up with the first team, they went as an assistant with the first team and then they worked their way up. Um, you just have to kind of grind out those hours, you know, like start small and work your way up. And really there's no, there's no trick to it. You, you know, like uh, it, there, there's, there's enough turnover to where that, where that happens. You know, these jobs are hard. So there, there's turnover. It's not, these are not 40 year positions. You know, people don't stay here forever um, because the, because of the travel and because of the nature of work, you know, the, these are, these are quick jobs when, when you're embedded with a team like I am, it's much different in a clinic and it's much different in other positions. But when you're embedded like this on the road with the team, it, it, it can wear on you. And so you just you just keep your head down and keep grinding and stay with it. And, and eventually that p- next position will open up. Right. I think that's a great advice for anybody that's, you know, wanting to get into sports medicine, because I think it's such a sometimes it's a, a position or field that seems so guarded because those positions are tough to get to. Um, but like you said, just keep working hard. And eventually, you know, when time is right with a little bit of hard work and a little bit of good luck, you know, it'll find you or you'll find it anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you do have, you do have to kind of be willing to move also as is like a side note, like, you know, let's, let's say you're in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, where I'm from, 
you know, unless you want to work, if you want to work in professional sports, unless you want to work in hockey, like you're not going to work anywhere. You're, like you're not going to get the job because that's the only professional team we have. So, you know, like you have to, you do have to be flexible and you have to be willing to move and, and um, you do all those things and, and yeah, somebody will be looking for somebody with your experience if you, if you grind it out. Perfect. Um, I think that's great advice. And Eric, um, thank you again for coming on to the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to plug, any social media or anything like that? <laughs> no, I don't. Not really. All right. Perfect. Um, well, thank you again <laughs> for being a great guest. Um, and this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. All right. Thanks, Chase. Huge thank you for Eric Bankson, Director of Sports Medicine for the New England Revolution, for coming on today's episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. If you like what you heard today or want to hear more episodes with great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. 